0: Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week we're chatting to Tara Austin, behavioural scientist and psychedelic evangelist. Can't wait to get into it. Wow, that was a good one for the echo. Tara Austin, welcome to The Form Guide. How are you?
1: Hello, I'm an ace today, thank you Rob. Fantastic, um, feeling very
0: jolly. Fantastic. So that, that tune specifically selected for this conversation is "Blow Your Head" by Fred Wesley and the JB's, fitting into our discussion, but also into our theme for season two of Seventies Funk. Uh, it's a classic. I sampled that like old acid sound and put it into a house track once, and uh, it's a uh, it's a good track, but good for this conversation. Mm-hmm. So you're an eight out of ten. Why are you an eight out of ten today?
1: Well, speaking to you, um, of course, and also um, I had a a very important meeting yesterday um, on the campaign that I'm hoping to run for psilocybin access rights um, to get uh, our creative director on board to change the world uh, with this campaign. So I'm very I'm very excited about that. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. So a positive work effect on on your form score. And that sounds like a fantastic campaign. Tell us a bit more about that.
1: Well, I can't say too much just yet, but it looks like um, an organization I'm working with, the Conservative Drug, po- Drug Policy Reform Group. I sort of work for them yeah. um, and, and with them. And uh, they're based in the UK, but we've also got another uh, couple of organizations in Canada and in Australia um, that we're working in consortium with. And we're looking to yeah create the world's first a uh, campaign um driving awareness of psilocybin access rights um, and the fact that people need they need and deserve access to psilocybin and the prohibition on the psychedelic medicines must end um, if we are to act in a humane way um, with our fellow man we must allow people access to these medicines. so the campaign yeah I mean, we're hoping to launch in sort of January next year that's the plan wow. at the moment.
0: Amazing, changing the world. So I'm keen to hear more about that in a second. So I too, as you can see, an eight out of 10 today. And um, I've got a bit of a thank you actually uh, for you uh, to Rory Sutherland, to the team at Ogilvy behind the Nudge Stock event, because I had a bit of an epiphany that day. I was you know, grateful to be speaking and, and really enjoyed that. But for the second year in a row, I've just you know cleared my diary as much as I could and consumed the content. And the content's I think interesting to or everything that we do in life. But it's not directly relevant to being a mental health campaigner. But it's sort of opened my mind. And since it opened my mind, I can I can say that I've been more connected to my family. Um, I've been you know more chatty with my family. I've been more creative generally, and my form score has been significantly higher. Since since that festival, and I I've realised that I don't spend enough time just indulging my brain in learning and being exposed to something new. So personally, I thank you for my good form, which you see behind me.
1: Well, that is, I mean, that's a delight. Yeah, thank you for saying that, and for yeah, it's a it's a great thing to be spreading the behavioural science love around the world. Um, and certainly, we had a, a, a fantastic amount of feedback on on you specifically, and I hope you got to look in the in the chat. Uh, how engaged people were with your session.
0: I did, um, I think yeah. you were
1: also the one when Dan Ariely asked Rob uh, Rory Sutherland who would which who would win in a fight um who, who would be the optimum fighter of all of them <laughs> it was it was either Sam Tatum or you that was that, that was everyone everyone <laughs> in the team was like it'd be Rob Stevenson or you Sam or you Sam
0: <laughs> yeah. maybe that's like a, a segment for the next show me and me and Sam having a sort of blue collar fist fight you know maybe that, that'll work that'll work so um good morning to everyone on the live uh, we got Bren Brennan actually of 42 Courses hey Bren I'm um, looking forward to having a chat with you uh, later this week uh, good morning hurrah good morning Sarah so, eight out of ten, what would a perfect 10 day look for you, Tara? What would be the components of that day?
1: I mean, nudge stock was a 10 out of 10 day. I, I think a 10 out of 10 day um, has to be a, a sort of life changing event, something you will never forget, maybe. Um, I think, yeah, I suppose it has to be one of those just. You know a, a wedding or a birth or a something really momentous and nudge talk was certainly that for me um, although I, I tend towards the more extremes in my form score so I'm, yeah. I'm more often a eight nine nine point five um, than uh, perhaps some of the rest of the team but then I can also I'm also when I'm low I'm I'm and I'm quite clear about that with everyone uh, I think I'm a' uh, emotional person and um, very comfortable sharing that with everyone but yeah I think a 10 would be falling in love
0: maybe yeah falling in love wow that's it yeah that's a great one falling in love Yeah, that day you fall in love that's the mm-hmm. perfect tender so for me yeah, like a 10 day is an ideal it's a uh, it's something that can happen a few times in in your life it's not a regular occurrence for me and and you might not be a 10 for all that long but it's it's the components that you know the stars have to align but falling in love I've never thought of it that way before and um, yeah, love it, love it, love it, love it. And you guys at Ogilvy, you've been using the form score as a way of checking in through lockdown, haven't you?
1: We have. And uh, the guys met you just before, uh, just before lockdown, yeah. which I think was just fortuitous. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been doing it all the way through and we, we continue to do it now, of course. It's very important to us and yeah. to, to check in with one another. I think of all of the parts of the Ogilvy group, Uh, we're certainly the most connected to um, our own mental health and and that of the team and I think a big part of that is because we we just understand that it influences our work that it is a part of our work it's not something that we have to you know box off and say that that's a separate that's a separate part of our lives it's actually integral to how we function and that's the beauty of understanding the how how human beings work and and the subconscious and the conscious but Um, So we're, I think, very, um, very comfortable. And and it's interesting to note that when any of the team have said I'm a four, um, there's a kind of a rallying round and there's there's public messages and there's also private messages that will then kick in of, you know, what can we do? Can we take this off you? are you, Are you stressed because of work? Do you need to take some time out? And we're a very sensitive team, I think
0: yeah that's brilliant actually because a lot of people will will ask me correctly so what you know we share form scores we we log our own form scores so what but the so what is the level of support and what can you do what can we take away what can we you know how can we support you if you're a four and that is actually what we want it's stimulating that behavior change which is brilliant um welcome also to todd down in australia Juliet simon uh good to see you all on the live chat great stuff so Tari, i haven't asked you to prepare for this but this is the quick fire round um so um i think you're going to be brilliant at this um i'm dying to see what you're going to say um so i'm going to ask you a series of questions if mental health were a something what would that something be and it could either be the first thing that comes into your head or a bit of a reflection. here we go here we go don't feel the pressure you're brilliant if mental health were an animal what would it be
1: Hippopotamus, you're what? you're you're peering into my deep subconscious now because I don't even know where these answers are coming from. Exactly,
0: exactly. Why why a hippo? I'm
1: I'm going to have to analyze this. I analyze my dreams yeah. every night okay. uh, for exactly this reason to understand what is going on in in there. What's the because me- we we obviously dream in metaphor every night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mental health. Well, actually, let's think about this. And I've obviously had not had a conscious thought yeah. of this they're very big and and beautiful and, and cuddly and everyone loves hippopotamus, but they're yeah. one of the most dangerous animals in the world yeah so there we go i couldn't have said thank you brain i couldn't yeah. have said something
0: uh, uh, and i'll add a bit i'll add a bit to that so the hippo you know often it's sort of submerged you're not aware it's there and then it can Ooh. sort of pop out and it can be make its presence very much felt okay it's just
1: um, to show the capa- the capacity of the mind the subconscious uh, capacity the system 1 capacity yeah. i'm forever talking about wow it's brilliant
0: it's brilliant i'm wondering if in, in, in our time today we'll get past the quickfire round actually but let's see Sorry. Uh, no 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 i love it i love it that's that's the whole point so if mental health tara were a color what color comes to mind
1: it i initially went red i'm just going to go with my i'm going to go with yeah. my system i'm going to give you system one answers here
0: yeah why red
1: i think probably again it's the color of energy and also uh death <laughs> <laughs> both
0: right <It's> like... <laughs> yeah e- extremes right so energy yeah. and positivity and death danger uh red love, traffic lights stop love romance uh, oh, you don't... know it's yeah I'm, I'm getting that sense brilliant mm. um if mental health were a food what would it be
1: oh uh, all i can think of is custard tarts
0: thank you. why and do
1: you do this do you do this quick fire with
0: everyone i do I to... yeah i do <laughs>
1: All I can think of is a custard tart.
0: Custard tarts. No, I think this is a good choice, but why the custard tart?
1: I don't know. I like custard tarts.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good.
1: Um, I suppose that maybe it's like, maybe custard is like gelatinous. It's not, it's neither one thing nor the other. I don't know. There's a container. Uh... <laughs> of the
0: of the wetness within yeah 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 I, I mean I like that this this you know there is the there there is this sort of it's encapsulated uh in something that's quite plain actually mm. to look at yeah. and then you get in you get this richness of vibrancy and I'm yeah. thinking the yellow you know the yellow and the the sweetness of the taste yeah it's good it's, it's good um so if mental health were a song or a piece of music this is a tough one
1: I'm very I'm very shaped here by my by my experiences with psychedelia yeah. uh, psychedelic uh, not psychedelic music but the music that is played during psychedelic journeys and I uh, my gut reaction is it's my mum's album um, which is uh, one of her albums she uh, she made a, an album that was purely voice so yeah. it's, it's called voices and it was very cutting edge in the new age world um back in the day in fact it was sampled by Grimes i found out the other day on her Amazing. SoundCloud Amazing. which my mother gets nothing for which is a shame which is a real shame but um no so it's it's layered vocal harmonies and it's very beautiful um but there's no instrumentation at all but it sort of sounds like there should be it's kind of classical i'd have to send it to yeah. you or something.
0: yeah what's your, what's your mum's name
1: Claire Hamill.
0: Okay, we'll, uh, we'll look that up and we'll um, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. I like the sound of that. Um, if mental health were a holiday destination, where would it be? My little
1: bell tent in Sussex.
0: Ah, oh, brilliant. Um, and what happens in your little bell tent in Sussex?
1: Oh, lots of things happen <laughs> in your little bell tent in
0: it's, like, it's definitely uh, before but... the watershed the show, Tara. I, I just... <laughs>
1: Some grounding, yeah. you know, some feet on the grass, um, and and actually, uh, yeah, it's a sort of it's a slightly magical place.
0: Yeah. I'm we loving. Found, it.
1: Uh, when I went there to put up the tent, um, there was a white rabbit that was frolicking. Wow! Um, uh, and now we, we my family, and I call it White Rabbit Retreats.
0: Brilliant! So, yeah. I love it. I love it when you you get. Uh, sort of the unexpected animal in, in, in a place. Um, and you just get the joy. I remember I moved to the country. I moved out of London. It's about nine years ago now. and, We got this long driveway. We're a part of a farm. And I was quite nervous about moving out of London and the whole commute thing. And, you know, I used to travel around on a Vespa. So I got my Vespa down here and got to the end of this driveway. And the first day I was commuting and there was this massive, majestic stag with huge antlers blocking my way. And he just stared me down for a little while, showed me who was boss and then just walked on and i'm like yeah okay that's good i've arrived this is okay it was like a good strong message there so yeah i love yeah. that Frohich and bunnies right one more if mental health were a sound what what sound comes to mind
1: um, maybe a foghorn <laughs> <laughs> not really avoidable, avoidable and and also there was this um there was this guy or this collective in San Francisco I think that was basically, uh, they were kind of classified as terrorists because what they would do is go and set off uh, foghorn um, in in places and of course it's such, a, it's not just that loud but it, it's such a sort of dark uh, sound that it would completely freak people out. I mean, they would they would sort of run for the hills because they weren't sure what was um, what was going on. And and they're amazing because they're actually made through explosions. Like it's such a big, it's an explosion in a container, um, sort of dynamite or something that creates Brilliant. the sound. Um, it's, it's that big and impactful. Amazing. Wow, the, the, out, so. the,
0: the mental health foghorn. Um, mm. So it, that reminds me, at the age of 49, I still do listen to Radio One. I'm trying to hold on to my youth. And it reminds me of the, um, I think they called it the Hootenanny that Greg James did on The Breakfast Show where it was to the soundtrack of this this house track by Fisher, this Aussie DJ and producer. And there's a big horn in it, right? A big fog horn in it. So what what they got was like people all over the country at a certain time blaring their horns. And they even got a battleship in the Royal Navy to participate in this with, the, with the, their big ship horn. So I love it. So this is a challenge. I'm going to try and put that together. Okay. So you and I, um, we're spending an afternoon together in in Sussex. Um, we're, we're near your bell tent. We're sitting outside. There's actually a bunny frolicking around, but the bunny's looking a bit nervous because there's a huge hippo walking (laughs) over the horizon for some reason. Um, we've got the sounds, um, of your mum's uh, voices, uh, Mm -hmm. collection playing. Um, and it's very, very relaxing. Um, and your bell tent for some reason is red it's bright red and this is surprising you because your bell tent is actually normal bell tent color but this one is is red and and we've got these amazing you know portuguese custard Mm -hmm. tarts um that we're enjoying and we're rudely interrupted by a farmer blaring a foghorn on his tractor that just provides a break to this serenity and then the serenity comes back and we realize the value of it because it's been interrupted by this farmer that's my scene there. Thank you.
1: Sounds like a beautiful afternoon.
0: Yeah, I think we're having fun. Um, so I'm pleased to see that you've got some some reading material behind you. So I, we can play a little game. This game is, yeah. called, is called What's on Your Shelf. So what I'd like you to do is kind of close your eyes and just sort of have a fumble over mm-hmm. to those books, pull one out at random and let's see what we've got what's on your shelf I,
1: I know which one this one is <laughs> can, I <take laughs> this one? can i take this one
0: i take this one yeah you can pretend you don't know what it is i don't I'm, mind I'm,
1: you forget i am an evangelist so i'm always talking about them uh fantastic <laughs> fungi paul Stamet is actually a film that lots of people have seen now about this um, but it's a really beautiful book as well. And and it's not just about magic mushrooms, uh, psilocybin mushrooms. It's also about what mushrooms and fungus can do for us in terms of, um, well, other other medical needs, things like turkey tail mushroom is incredible for immune boosting and particularly uh, with lung cancers in japan if you've got a lung cancer they will give it to you when you are taking chemotherapy one of my my hairdresser is actually uh, going through exactly that at the moment i took some turkey tail over to her the other day Amazing. um so all, all kinds of stuff like that but also things like how we can maybe use fungus in um other challenges with climate change whether that's decomposing plastics or or creating new materials out of certain kinds of fungus so that we can wear them and grow our clothes rather than putting kind of Uh, polyester into into the dump that kind of thing
0: fantastic there we go so my colleague will put a a a link to that in the show notes too Um, excellent so this is going well isn't it Um, right let's get into it you are a behavioral and brand strategist and you're a psychedelic evangelist now what a fantastic combination of titles you've got on your LinkedIn profile there tell us what it means to be both of those things actually I'm really curious
1: um, well, historically, I was a brand strategist, so yeah. worked, at, uh, grew up in kind of uh, Ogilvy and Mather, one of the biggest ad agencies in the world. Worked on all the, all the brands you can imagine: Dove, uh, Coca Cola, all of those kind of guys. Lots of fast-moving consumer goods, um, making advertising of all description. Um, and uh, but then we, Rory Sutherland and Jez Groom, uh, in I think 2011. Um, set up the behavioural science practice within Ogilvy. It was called Ogilvy Change at the time. And and, um, that was kind of born out of the the planning department, the strategy department. And we all sort of started upskilling that the the field was very new and started reading and reading. All the books were coming out. Um, Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, Thaler's Nudge uh, and Sunstein's Nudge. Um, So we started like reading everything and led by Rory and Jez. Um, with their first, uh, their first uh, um, employee was Dan Bennett. Other than yeah. that, there was the rest of the planning department that kind of filled in the gaps, and eventually, um, eventually, I ended up running the the practice. And um, <laughs> like after some years, and I, and I ran the first ever behavioral experiment that we did. Something that's called uh, the Babies of the Borough, which was um, a project. After the London riots, um, we I had this idea. It came from the Grocer magazine of all places, but we right. um, paint the, the faces of local babies onto shop security shutters to try and bring down antisocial behaviour because there was some evidence um, from uh, a team in in the U.S. that um, the the round faces of babies, the big eyes and and big cheeks, small features, um, that, that 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 prompted a a caring response uh, in the in the brain. And the idea was, could we use that to get people of Greenwich to care a bit more about their uh, their neighborhood. And so we ran this little experiment and, and in, in theory that, you know, the data showed that that was the case and that it did have an effect. Uh, we actually repeated it a couple of years ago. Um, but that, yeah, that whole, that whole process really set me on a path of working in the applied behavioral sciences, so taking academic literature, um, academic studies, and um, trying to apply from psychology and um, neuroscience and evolutionary biology or whatever it might might be that we were seeing in the sciences, try and take that and apply it into the world of um, communications, typically, but also more broadly business. Um, so, how can a business understand its customer journey, or what might we be able to do to innovate um, in in which we could use psychology and how human beings really work, rather than how we traditionally have thought they work as rational actors. So yes. so so I I work in the applied behavioral sciences uh, for Ogilvy um, and um, I also consider myself a a psychedelic evangelist, um, which is I think my way of saying uh, a lobbyist, Hmm. um, but with um, a lot more emphasis on the fact that I just wanna talk to absolutely everybody about these medicines um, and I have done for a very long time. Um, It's only in uh, recent Years um, only really since Corona that I've started kind of uh, having a concerted effort and, and working with government and lobbying Number Ten specifically um, I'm working with a Conservative Drug Policy Reform Group in the UK to um, to try and bring about change and so I'm I'm doing that and I'm trying to spread the word wherever I can uh, but yeah psychedelic evangelist it is brilliant
0: brilliant best 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 title on LinkedIn I reckon. Um, so there's, there's there's lots i'd like to cover here i mean let's talk about the behavioral science stuff a little bit first and i'm 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 sort of in love with rory sutherland actually i was grateful it really to, to have it's it's incredible isn't it it's, and somebody you know somebody said that you know there's this sort of genius brain there but he's sort of never really grown up he's got that sort of childlike questioning and in, inquisition that you see when a when a child is super engaged in in whatever they're doing it, it strikes me that he's, he's like that what's he like to work with
1: Rory is a, is a dream. Um, he, my analysis of him is that he's, yes, he's a creative genius, but the reason that he's so wonderful to work with and be around is that he doesn't have an ego like most people do. Like right. Most people have a lot of barriers and a lot of defensiveness and a lot of Machiavellian impulses that they can't really, it's not wrong, but they are trying to get ahead. They are trying to prove something to themselves or to other people. And the thing about Rory is he's so generous with his time, with his mind. He's so open-hearted to what the answer might be, uh, which is this sort of cur- childlike curiosity, but also, he, and he's also very, 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 very playful. Um, he, it's But it's, for me, it all comes down to the fact he just doesn't exhibit the classical ego-driven behaviors that that um, most people do and particularly people in in my kind of industry um, he's really unusual for this for this fact yeah. and to the point where sometimes um, working with him you know other people will, you, you, you end up kind of you can be quite protective of him sometimes as well as as well as nagging him I mean he's a he is childlike in that he's a he's a slight, he's a nightmare to like manage um yeah. you know to kind of there's been we've run nudge stocks in the past where we've very cheekily had to, you know we've put on a, a very rude piece of music when he started going over time <laughs> because he he's a nightmare to keep to time and actually this nudge stock was was remarkable because we were all completely astonished that he was absolutely on the money, and we had for twelve hours. You know, we're going through this, yeah. and, and he, I think it. But it was something. To, I think it was the nature of being in the in the TV studio. Yeah. Um, meant he was just like, he was totally professional about it. Whereas the minute you put in front of a, a live audience, he's uh, he's mischievous and he's just got one more thing, one more funny thing he wants to say and, and cheeky. And you're thinking, oh my God, we're so behind time. So he's, he's a nightmare to manage, yeah. um, but he is just one of the, the best, nicest uh, brains um, in the world. Honestly, I think yeah. in the world um, yeah. and his reputation, now, you know, it precedes him, and, that, and it should do, because he, he deserves all the credit that anyone could possibly give him.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I love this whole concept of, you know, using sort of behavioral science and and looking at things from a different perspective perhaps not the logical perspective because the logical perspective gives us the same answers that everybody else is thinking of and there's nothing wrong with logic but trying to think about a problem your example of um you know the shutters and, and having the baby photos on there is a is a perhaps an illogical solution to to a problem that is more effective than the logical solution might be and it's it's a different way of thinking isn't it
1: it's a lateral way of thinking, yeah. and um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Edward de Bono, and, and you might have noticed, I spoke about him at Nudgestock last year. Um, and I last year, I, I, I suggested that we need to get him the Nobel Prize because you can't win the Nobel Prize posthumously. And of course, um, he, he died just the week before Nudgestock. Uh, which is terribly sad um, because he, he never he never got that accolade yeah. um, which I think was a real shame for the world but yes the, the idea of lateral thinking stepping out of your conditioned pattern of thought and stepping to the side and connecting with something otherwise wasn't already connected I mean that is true creativity and the behavioral sciences allow us uh, give us a lot of provocations to, to see our problem through a different lens um, and uh, a lens that is not our kind of yeah our everyday rational or what de bono calls vertical thinking um, but to see it in a in another kind of parallel and lateral way um yeah that's I'm a big fan of big fan of that and we use a lot of uh, lateral thinking techniques in our in our work i got some training as a edward de bono lateral thinking trainer
0: so uh, fam- yeah fabulous so it's definitely in the forefront of my mind as we look to solve the problem of trying to help the world be more intentional about well-being with what we're doing with form score um and and i think you know finding different ways to come at that problem are important for us so um yeah i'll be talking to you more about that for sure um so let's talk about stock and, and I have to give you credit and kudos. You did the best ever fill I have ever seen at a conference. So you were interviewing uh, Professor David Nutt, and he was speaking, actually. Um, so I'm keen to find out a bit more about, uh, about David. But, you know, he lost his connection. And then you basically took over his slides and finished off his presentation for him, which shows your knowledge and passion for his subject matter Uh, but tell us a bit about David um, and you know his work and and you know why getting him on the nudge stock stage was so important.
1: I mean David is my hero so um, it was an extraordinary moment because of of all of the speakers to kind of for their feed to drop um he is the only one whose slides I, I could have presented but also it I suppose if I didn't think already that i was a psychedelic evangelist i mean that that really proved it in that i just thought at the time um i've got however money it was at that point two thousand three thousand people on the live feed at that moment in time and of course that it'd be shared later um there's no way i'm letting this many people not hear what he has to say about psychedelic really? medicines and because i need them to hear because i i know you know the the statistics in the just in, this, just in this country, let alone the world, are, are appalling when it comes to how we treat um, mental health challenges, things like depression. And, and, and people often believe there's no hope. And there is hope. And I need them to know there's hope because I need them to hold on um, and to get the help that they need through these medicines because I believe that that is the path out for great, great many people. Um, so yeah, so David is, I met him uh, at the beginning of this year um, he's been a hero for a long time and uh, i've met him because i actually i brought him together with some of the guys from um from number 10 um and he uh he so he was the um chair of the government's advisory council on the misuse of drugs so he was the the drug czar of the country <laughs> yeah um and then under um he got in trouble initially for saying uh that Taking ecstasy was less dangerous than riding a horse, which he said in a lecture <laughs> yeah. to university students. He actually, you know, in this lecture, two students showed this is the data on horse riding and how dangerous it is, and and, and how an adverse uh, aver- ad- adverse mental uh, adverse um, episode yeah. can can cause major behaviour change, like personality change. You know, head trauma. And he talked about a patient that he's, he was treating for exactly this, whose life had been ruined, whose family didn't even know her anymore, you know, right. because she'd had this uh, head trauma from horse riding, um, really uh, terrible situation. And then he compared it with the, the data on, uh, on ecstasy um, and showed, you know, clearly uh, you, you're better off at taking ecstasy than you are uh, taking up horse riding. Um, and um, I think it was Jackie Smith at the time was the Home Secretary and she was in a right old befuddle about this Um, and he writes about it in his book, Uh, he saw this fantastic book Drugs Without the Hot Air, Drugs Without the Hot Air, yeah, Um, and uh, he talks about this exchange between them that's just almost comical in in how how ill-founded and understood the, the drugs laws uh, are or were by our own home secretary at the time yeah. in it's just a circular argument she sort of said you can't say this because uh, this is uh, illegal uh, ecstasy and, and he said well well yes but it's illegal because of the harm Like, but it's not actually generating the same amount of harm and, and she's like yes but it's but it's a drug and it was it was just like this cyclical argument um and he just about sort of survived that then Alan Johnson came in as home secretary. This is all under Gordon Brown, and you know there's this is there's this desire to be tough on drugs, like yeah. we're living in 1971, um, yeah. you know, under Nixon or something, and um, to be tough on drugs, even though that's that that the war on drugs has only proven um, to cause great harm. And yeah. and Professor Nart, his his heart and soul, are, you know, in the right place, which is following the science understanding these substances. He, he said on a recent BBC documentary, he's probably given more drugs to more people than anyone else in the world. He understands these substances <laughs> like nobody's business and he understands the harms that they do. Um, he understands the particularly the harm, we'll talk about this, but the harm uh, done by alcohol, for example, which is the most um, dangerous and harmful um, substance known to man, yeah. um, sort of shortly followed by kind of like tobacco and things. Um, crack cocaine's up there too, but, yeah. um, heroin, but alcohol, tobacco, uh, legally available, prescribed, and yet very, very harmful at, none, at the other end of the spectrum. We have sort of psychedelic medicines, uh, which he has r- written about, um, uh, you know, and, and now heads up the center for psychedelic research Imperial, uh, again, just like following the science. Yeah. Um, I have so respect him for this. Um, And and he says this beautiful line, I think it's in the book. um, uh, Psychedelic medicines are among the the safest substances we know of. It's almost impossible. I mean, it is impossible to overdose on them. You'd you'd have to eat more than your own body weight in psilocybin mushrooms, which, of course, you couldn't do. So it's not it's not possible. Um, But not only are they not addictive, they are anti-addictive. They are anti-addictive. They, they cure addictions. And I've, I've seen this with my own eyes. People who um, were cigarette smokers, uh, you know, 10 a day, having a, a, a psilocybin assisted journey and then and then never smoking again. Or, it's really um,
0: interesting, isn't it? Sorry to, sorry to jump over you. It's really sure. interesting that you know, t- tobacco um, and and uh, alcohol are drugs, um, mm-hmm. but we don't term them drugs because and caffeine. And caffeine, you know, caffeine, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, many of us can't do without a morning hit of caffeine. Um, uh, yeah, I'm we definitely get dig-
1: withdrawal very quickly. We get like
0: withdrawal, the headaches, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I definitely do that if I'm not having my uh, espressos. You know, so it's both legal and within the social norm, whereas, you know, some of the you know, the psychedelics that you mentioned um, are, you know, seen as, they're obviously illegal, but they're also seen as... Uh, by the general population as something that it's a drug we can't we can't touch it but we're touching drugs all of the time that are just legalized and acceptable and they are more dangerous drugs than the the ones that you've been talking about now obviously to
1: mention opiates not to mention the stuff that america is hooked on
0: uh
1: codeine some of these some of these things are extremely damaging to people or even you know arguably antidepressants um other, other kinds of things that we can position as medicines that also have terrible withdrawal effects that also have uh, terrible effects on on the on the body and the, and the mind or can do um but we say these are prescribed by our doctor and therefore they are safe well they're not safe for us necessarily and that these ones are somehow dangerous and that's absolutely just not the case mm. Al, uh, you know alcohol tobacco and and a lot of things that you can get from the doctor are are not necessarily going to be what's going to help you and yeah. and these things of course there are risks associated with with any any substance at all um if you to, uh, take too much magnesium you know you're gonna yep. get sick um but uh they absolutely can heal they can heal yeah. and um and we're living through a prohibition at the moment that's a total madness but then if you think about it it took something like i don't know 15 years for america to uh, overcome its prohibition of alcohol. And that was a substance that was so deeply embedded in society. I might have got that wrong. It might be 10 or something, but nonetheless, yeah. it still took some serious time for mm. prohibition to kind of then end and people to go, oh, no, do you know what? Make your own decisions to kill yourself with booze, but, you know, at, at least allow people the, the license to do that. Um, and that was, yeah, that was deeply ingrained within our society. It's taken, we, we didn't really have these medicines in the, in the Western world, we did, but probably a very, very uh, long time ago at the temples of Eleusis and these kind of places in ancient Greece. But um, we haven't had an established culture around psychedelic medicines that was then taken away from us. We just we they they came into being in the in the 40s, 50s, 60s and all of the. You know, the papers that were released, more than 40,000 patients went through psychedelic uh, trials uh, safely, clin- clinical trials. It was recognized that these medicines were, uh, you know, the greatest step in innovation in psychiatry and neuroscience at the time that they were really isolated and discovered by Albert Hoffman and, and that, that team. You know, we had this amazing opportunity and the 60s um, and Richard Nixon killed it. Um, and it's a it's a great a great crime against humanity. It's that we're only just beginning to address now, um, and of course the number of papers and clinical studies has just picked
0: up yeah. at velocity. And I'm interested in a couple of things you you've said on psychedelics. One is the the effect on treating addiction. And addiction mm-hmm. and addiction to many substances is a key problem in our society. But <clears throat> excuse me, alcohol particularly. Um, what, what, how does that work? What do you know about the science behind that?
1: I mean, fundamentally, what's interesting about, these, about psychedelic medicines is that we're finding that all of these um, psychopathies and all, all of these different th- problems of the mind, depression, anxiety, addiction, anorexia, you know, these things that we've um, sort of pathologized and go, this is my box and this is my problem, that actually <laughs> on a neuro- neuroscience kind of level, um that there are the same mechanisms involved and that uh, a great deal of our mental disorders are, are effectively caused by rigidity of the mind the mind gets stuck playing mm-hmm. the same uh the, playing the same pattern of thought um it, within its kind of default mode network the, the yeah. brain the resting brain the brain that's not not even thinking about anything and interesting if you read uh robert cialdini when in influence which is obviously one of the most influential books within the uh, behavioural science field in a book that I would hardly re- recommend to anyone. He also talks about, you know, playing the tape. He says, like, we are, you know, we are sort of conditioned and and often our responses to things are um, created by, we just play the tape that we like, we, we're triggered and we play the same old thing. And um, and what we're sort of uncovering um, in the lab at Imperial and Johns Hopkins um, and within these fMRI scanners yep. is what they call the entropy hypothesis or the... Um, the uh, uh the brain in its in the default mode network in kind of effectively switching it off yeah. um and creating a lot of disorder um and allowing the brain to kind of connect all the bits of the brain to sort of like wildly connect together creating this plasticity yeah. what we do is overwrite some of the um some of the imprinted conditioned like patterns of thought that are strengthened within the brain we we overwrite that and we allow for more uh, opportunity to uh to think the things that 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 serve us rather than I I can't eat, I can't eat, or oh, I'm I'm no good, I'm no good. Because of course we know again from the behavioral sciences that the brain is a little confirmation machine. Mm-hmm. So that if you've already got a little a strong neural pathway that's been developed over time that says, you know, you're you're worthless, you shouldn't even be here. Yeah. Uh, because when you were a child, your your teacher said to you at age seven, um, you're so stupid, you don't deserve to live, which uh, a, a good friend of mine had that experience. Right. Uh, and you have that experience very, very young. And then and then you're in a coffee shop and someone looks at you funny and they look at you funny because they've got something going on in their own life or they've stepped in some poo. But you, because your brain has already got this pathway, confer- is constantly reconfirming that information. And that just adds and strengthens and deepens um, that, that existing conditioning. One yeah. of the things that I think I said at Nudge Stock was that when you, um, often people say about psychedelics that it's it's shaking the snow globe, that you're creating this disorder in order for things to kind of resettle in in a different place. Have I answered your question? I, you I do wang on about these
0: things. Yeah, you have, you have indeed, and I, I, I just love that analogy of shaking the the snow globe of, you know, that just to reset and you know, let it settle in in a, in a more um, agreeable pattern, shall we say, yeah. and, and and presumably the same mechanisms work with with depression and and, and all of the other stuff that it it, it treats. This is,
1: this is it. So um, with addiction, for example, if you're, yeah, your default mode network is, is set on, I need a fag, I need a fag, I need a fag. And, uh, and suddenly you've got, yeah, you've got this fresh layer of snow and you've got the, I, I always say to, to people, if they go through a psychedelic experience that, you know, that one of the other analogies, you're always, if you're always going down the mountain in skis in the same rut, this is a fresh layer of snow but you can still decide to go down the mountain in the same, that same path. And if you decide not to uh, change your life afterwards or to try and integrate the experience that you've had, is how we talk about it with psychedelic therapy, then you can still do that. Or you can decide, no, I want to go off piste or I want to, you know, go down here. Um, you've, you definitely, after a psychedelic experience, have more, more power, more control, more opportunity in the mind to think, Where do, how do I want to think about this? And it's not to say that um, everyone can go through a, a psilocybin journey and just drop cigarettes like that. But nonetheless, the clinical data is like 80% success rates for, um, for not smoking six months later with alcohol. Alcohol is an interesting one. Alcohol is a really interesting one because um, uh, so, for example, we're looking at the rescheduling of psilocybin which is the psychoactive in, in magic mushrooms because it's a, it's a six hour journey. It's very easy to manage um there are no risks i mean like you're not going to die they're not toxic nothing like that there's no toxicity um but actually the best clinical research so far that i've seen is mostly for alcoholism is actually around lsd and a lot of that was happening way back in the sort of 40s 50s 60s when they did all these huge trials because they understood these were groundbreaking medicines but the interesting thing is because lsd psilocybin will Attach into the serotonin 2a receptor in the, in the brain and like i say, after six hours it will metabolize free yeah um, but lsd is a more perfect fit right. and so it will sort of stick in there and that, this is what people are always uh t- sort of terrified or worried about in that you could have a nine hour uh, experience or you could have a Today experience, yeah. and you don't really know what it's going to be or when it's going to metabolize free. And obviously, I think you know with LSD, there seems to be much more of a likelihood of some kind of, you know, lingering or 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 there could be some sort of flashback or, um, some you know it's 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 a it's a sticky sticky kind of molecules the way I think yeah. about it. But with alcoholics, this is is very um, effective because the alcoholic brain. Gets really good at dampening down its experience of the world, so that because you're, you know, you're taking in huge amounts of a psychoactive substance, um, you get really good at adjusting for it, so that uh, what would otherwise make somebody, you know, see the world sort of spinning, for the alcoholic, their brain kind of goes, no, no, the the world's like this, and they get really, really good at that, and so effectively, for alcoholics, you often need to give them a really, really significant dose. Is the suggestion at the moment? Um, in order for it to actually really take hold in in the brain um, and lsd does this but it does mean that yeah to come out of and i've seen with my i've seen with my own eyes a man um and the day before the journey that he did he drank half a bottle of vodka i think at 6 a.m and then drove his three children to school so you know alcoholism uh he was sort of you know d- like physically and only in his early 40s but but you know pancreatitis like he was dying really yeah. and you know, there was no there's not very much help in society for that for that problem. And mm. and uh, and people don't think there's help. And then he went through a journey. And I think with the exception of one episode in the last maybe nine, ten months or something, he's had like one drink at, at Christmas, sent, went a bit off the rails for a couple of days and then went, hang on. No, I've learned not to do this. Yeah. And I'm back. Amazing. But um, you know, extraordinary, like life-changing, transformational events that can happen in the space of a day. Yeah. You
0: know? So, so this this is fascinating, right? Um, really, really fascinating stuff. So, so there's there's barriers, aren't there? There's there's legality barriers, and that's what you're campaigning and others are campaigning mm-hmm. to remove that prohibition. And then there's probably adoption barriers. There's people's you know mainstream perception of these substances, and I guess medicinal cannabis is quite an interesting case study on this. Mm-hmm. Combining your two roles, you know, as as the the sort of brand strategy, and you know, what does brand psychedelics need to look like for mass adoption once we legalize it?
1: It's very interesting because uh, there's uh, there's this, this this space is so unique, um, and there's been huge amounts of investment uh, flowing in. I think we were talking earlier about um, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, company now. Um, uh, high uh, life, Atali. Right, Atali life yeah, yeah. sciences um and they ipo'd on the nasdaq at like 225 million uh just a, a couple of weeks ago uh there's huge investment flowing in peter teal uh that well attire invested in compass pathways which is a uk yeah. business um that's again um kind of getting a huge amount of uh investment and things um it's it's I'm I'm a big fan of the money flowing into this sector. A, a lot of people in the psychedelic community aren't, um, and there's a lot of concern about companies like Compass trying to patent um what is what is you know these na- these molecules are available in nature and yeah. uh, there's a big campaign remember decriminalized nature um but uh the idea that you may be able to patent and, and control access to these medicines is is frankly sinister and so people are um very concerned about that um but the i think the money flowing in is good and i'm i'm fascinated by the fact that though that the venture capital and the field and the businesses that have been set up are not uh traditionally sort of um brand people and the for example like, if you look at the if you look at the naming conventions in the field it's all farmer names lots of like, so, really yeah crafty, life sciences
0: it's just to bring sort of cr- a farmer kind of credibility to it isn't it i guess
1: yeah there's a lot of it, the, the, the field kind of breaks down this there's, there's some stuff which is a li- little bit more glastonbury hippie shamanesque yeah uh, a small amount of stuff around that Um, And then, but the bulk of like the, uh, of the VC kind of world that is really heavily investing here is, um, and and the visual branding is all sort of, yeah, very uh, kind of big pharma, um, Latin, Greek kind of language to convey authority. And the the thing I was saying to uh, one of these uh, guys the other day was um, what's fascinating to me coming from a brand perspective is that within the psychedelic experience itself, The brand has a tangible role. So usually, and Rory Sutherland talks about, uh, he's got a great talk, a TED talk on the intangible value of the brand. Um, But usually the the brand is like, oh, it's the thing on the spreadsheet, the marketing kind of cost. And we say it's got a value, but um, and we put numbers against it. But um, it's, you know, it's kind of ethereal a little bit. Right, it's the brand, it's just a concept in our minds. And yeah, it's red and a logo and we own it, but it's not really a thing. Now, the thing is, within the psychedelic experience, if you have uh, consumed a, a, a product and you know, say Comp360, the thing that compasses us sort of patenting, you consume this product, and but you know, because of the Daily Mail, that uh, a couple of weeks before, someone who had taken Comp360, um went psychotic and had some sort of psychotic break or you know did something awful your experience of comp 360 will be shaped by that knowledge you can't abstract that knowledge from the experience and i think there's a huge amount of risk in the branded psychedelic space and particularly because a lot of these companies don't seem to really understand brand management if you ask me or or reputational management because they don't they are some of them are really kind of coming across. As, um, as, you know, sort of riding roughshod uh, and actually the set and the setting um, within psychedelic therapy, which is what we call like the mindset coming into it, the your total concept of will this work, what might happen, all of these, do, how much do I want change? Because that for me is the, the single biggest factor that I've seen in, in uh, transformational experiences has been desperation to some yeah, extent yeah. or, you know, real openness. But then there's the physical, a uh, container like the 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 music that you might be listening to, the place that you're in, the setting. You know, those two uh aspects of psychedelic therapy are as critical, as critical as the dosage itself, um, yeah. how much you you take, or you know, it's these the, the medicine is a catalyst for change. Um but it, it absolutely relies on those two those two other factors. And again, going back to the behavioral sciences, it they psychedelic medicines demonstrate in a very real and present way the power of system one that we don't typically have any kind of access to and how powerfully influenced system one is by our by our immediate context as well um that we're not really yeah
0: this is really interesting the the context of brand awareness could affect the experience that is a Big deal and a big challenge, I think, for these businesses. Well, it's interesting to see, and um, we've got a few minutes left, so I'm keen to just talk uh, about the other aspect of Professor Nutt's work, which I've been indulging in uh, uh, personally, which is uh, the alcoholic, um, the replacement drink to mimic. Two of the positive effects of alcohol, but not have any of the negative effects. And those effects being social confidence and relaxation. So the drink is called Sentia, S-E-N-T-I-A. Um, I quit booze just over two years ago. I've been sober for, for two years. And. Um, and when I heard you and Professor Nutt talk about uh, this drink, I thought I'm going to give it a go. So I did. And, you know, for, for me, this part of me that hopes this is just one big placebo experiment because I, I, I've, and I know it isn't, but I've I've got this drink. I had, I'd, had it with my wife. You know, we did a couple of doubles. I did a couple of doubles of it with tonic. Very tasty. You know, really enjoyed it.
1: Way um, with tonic. There were lots of people bitching online afterwards going, oh, I don't like it tastes horrible or something. But, I would say do not drink it neat.
0: No, definitely. Drink not. it with no. tonic. Yeah, yeah. It needs, it, tonic. it needs mixing for sure. Um, but I got a genuine buzz. I was remarkably chatty um and quite giggly for a little bit. Um, and and for the first time in about 20 years, I, I used the phrase, are you coming up yet to my wife, uh, which was hilarious, but I kind of wanted to believe. And I, I also haven't drunk alcohol for two years, so I'm not really comparing it to the effects of alcohol because I'm not drinking alcohol. But I had a wonderful experience. And then Saturday I was out at a party and DJing. Uh, again, had a good, good, good few chugs of this with tonic and um, had a wonderful experience. And then after a couple of hours or so, an hour, I can't quite remember the timeline. I just felt totally normal again with no effects. So for me, this was brilliant. But what's, what's your take on it?
1: Yeah, I mean I like, when I spoke to Professor Nutt about this, I'm not sure if it was at Nudge Stock or when I was talking to him privately, but um I was saying that my my uh, friend who actually went through this um this this LSD journey and, and came off alcohol completely um and doesn't drink anymore, that uh I I was talking to him about the the product and there was a sort of we we both had a sort of nervousness of like could he drink this is this going to somehow send him into like a spiral of alcoholism you know could it sort of bring it all back and it certainly didn't do that but what it did do was um and I said said to him would it have a more profound effect on him uh because he's uh it's a gaba agonizer the, the drink um and he's not having his gabber agonized on a yeah. regular basis as I am um yeah. uh, because I definitely sort of drink too much and, and certainly my, my whole industry is uh, prone towards that I think but um and that was certainly our experiences when we when we drank it together he and I um he uh he was almost instantly like oh I'm definitely I definitely feel this I feel this whereas me I was like I, it took I think three uh, for me to actually go, okay, yeah. yeah, no, I do feel like a bit more jolly, a bit more sociable. So I I think if you are, if you go kind of uh, cu- a clean uh, cold turkey kind of yeah. on, on the booze, you're just going to get a more profound effect. And I think this is the beauty of these kinds of drinks. And I was reading yesterday about another um, a, 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 a substance they're calling a, eufo- a, a, a euphoric drink, like as a category generic, which is not something I'd heard until yesterday. And looking at these euphoric drinks, and I, I actually wonder whether. Sentia, it seems to me, would fit in that category. Yeah, de- 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 definitely.
0: I experienced a degree of euphoria. It was subtle, um, but it was euphoric. Um,
1: and this um, other one was sort of botanicals, adaptogens. So looking at mushrooms again, which I was talking about earlier, um, certain kinds of mushrooms, chaga, um, things, a lion's mane that kind of like activate your kind of neural yeah. uh, network and immune system. And, and and but this one was also using um, some other substances, neutro- some nootropics. Because uh, okay. all these new words—adaptogens, nootropics, botanicals—and yeah. these combinations that were helping you calm. So as well as with with your GABA receptor responses, you know, feeling this sociability and, and ease and and so, you know that sort of stuff. Also, you know, some of these drinks that actually just can. Like calm, yeah. calm you down a little bit. Um, I think we're going to see. I I would love to see like some advertising from these kinds of brands at Nudgestock next year yeah. because I think our audience absolutely uh, love this these kinds of products. And um, but also I would like to see them. Yeah, go more go more mainstream, and and so people feel like I'm I'm drinking. It's a yeah. and it's an indulgence. Yeah,
0: and I think that is drink. that that's psychologically feeling like you're drinking and part of something that you've removed yourself from, and you're seen as the non-drinker. It's very powerful. Brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll definitely get the details of the uh, the other drink you mentioned uh, after the show. Yeah. So um, we're going to close up in a second. One final question for you. What is your one well-being golden nugget? We're curating these nuggets. The one bit of advice or wisdom that you're happy to share on managing your well-being.
1: Other than exploring psychedelic medicines, if you need them, if you need to, yeah. um, I, I think it's probably... Uh, spend enough time in nature i think you know and again all the evidence like i love the evidence based right yeah there's a lot of evidence that um spending time in nature like even shoes off on the on the ground um that it's uh, it's it's good for you and you're yeah. connected mr nature
0: connecting with nature brilliant and obviously the theme for mental health awareness week this year was um spending time in nature um so uh, good advice there tara um, Also, dance
1: like a lunatic if you dance, dance like, like a
0: lunatic dance like no one is watching um, I do a lot of that yeah yeah i'm i'm a big dancer as well i love that um Tara thank you so much we literally could talk for hours um I'm so interested in 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 what you're doing and and you know grateful for your time today this is the form guide inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being next up we've got a cracker next week it's a friend of mine Simon Anthony and Simon um is one of the cleverest blokes that I've met we did accountancy exams together back in the day I'm a chartered accountant by the way I don't generally advertise that um but but Simon literally was off the charts intelligent he, became this like whizzy uh, tax uh, structured finance dude in a bank um, for many years made a lot of money but he's now a YouTuber and he's got a a big following on YouTube and what he does he solves really hard Sudoku puzzles on YouTube right and people love to watch this but what he's found is actually through lockdown people have been writing to him saying that they find this um, very good for their mental health, watching him solve these puzzles. They find it very relaxing, that helps with insomnia. Um, And I've watched a few of these and I can see where they're coming from on this. It's very, very relaxing. It's very, you're seeing someone solve a problem. It's almost like you're on the journey of problem solving with him. Um, So we're gonna have a chat about Cracking the Cryptic, his his YouTube channel.
1: You've reminded me though of my, the anxiety I did experience at the beginning of lockdown. I used jigsaw puzzles because you can't really think about anything else when you're yeah. thinking, where's the pink bit? Where's the pink yeah. bit? Where's the pink bit? Yeah. And I found them enormously helpful for just being in the present moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to that chat. So we go from psychedelics to crossword puzzles. So all good. <laughs> um, Tara, thank you so much. You've been a, an amazing guest. Great to know you.
1: Well, Thank you.